Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Woo, good to see you guys. So this week, uh, last week, Bethany and I took our kids up uh, to Canada. We were teaching a class up there at a Bible school. So we've been in the car with our children for about 20 hours, two, eight, nine hour trips. And so if I say strange things, it's because that's who I really am. Not because of the trip, but it was a good time. Good to be back. How many of you know going on trips, it'd be awesome if your kids could just get everything in line. Like everybody goes to the bathroom at this stop. Everybody eats right here. You can't be hungry. We ate yesterday. Like, you know what I mean? You so the good news is Bethany was prepared and she had games and toys and prizes and snacks and all kinds of stuff. And we listened to a podcast about Bigfoot. I think he's real. So anyways, excited to be here today. We're starting a brand new series called God Is. God Is. Somebody say God Is. God is. God is. And you know, here's the thing is that everybody uh, or most people, well, I'll say everybody, everybody has an opinion about God. So if you say God is, immediately your mind goes, God is and fill in the blanks. This is what he is. He's the creator of everything. He's the, the mean guy, you know, that watches what everybody's doing and wants to smite people. We'll talk about that. Or he's like Santa Claus and he just answers your prayers and gives you what you want or whatever. But everybody has a thought about God. And a lot of people think that they sort of have this concept of who God is, and this idea about God really locked down and they haven't maybe thought it through in a really long time. So maybe you're sitting here and you've been in church uh, for 25 years. Like you have your own, you have your name on the back of the chair, even though this is a movie theater, but somehow you've got your name on the back and, and you're like, you're like Christian. You know what I mean? If I say God is good, you say, see, how do you know that? That's like Christian Marco Polo, right? Marco Polo. So if you knew the answer to that one, you know, you've probably been here a long time. You've probably been in the Christian thing for a long time. And maybe you think I've got this God thing figured out. Well, the good news is you don't. And neither do I, right? Like we don't have him figured out. We haven't been able to like put the lines down and just go, you know what? Like this is done. We don't need to think about it anymore. Uh, that's not the case. So if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't know anything about God. Hey, welcome to the club. Like we're here together to learn and to discover who God is from who he says he is in the scripture, looking at what he's like. Now, people that think they've got stuff locked down, like this is something I know. I know this is not true. We don't really lock things down because you think about all the face palm moments in life. Face palm moments. You know what I mean? That's my favorite emoji is the, the face palm. Because most of my life as a man is a face palm. Do you know what I mean? It's like most of the stuff I do, is like, oh man, people facepalm at me and I facepalm. Why do they do that? Facepalm, right? There's all kinds of facepalm moments in life. And I'm, I'm like kind of a grammar Nazi. So we're going to look at some of these for all intensive purposes. Now, how many of you, I mean, a lot of you are like, what's wrong with that? You're wrong with that. If you don't know what's wrong with this. Come on, America, let's get, for all intents and purposes is the, the phrase, but people write stuff like this on Facebook and you wonder why there are wars. I'm praying for world peace, you know, at Christmas. Not until somebody fixes this, right? That is not correct. It's a face palm. Go to the next one. I like this one, the specific ocean. <laughs> it's, it's the other side from the ambiguous ocean, right? The other side. The specific ocean, and some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Oh, Lord Jesus. The Pacific Ocean is an actual body of water. The specific ocean is delusion that, that you're experiencing. I don't know, but people say this. There was a, a girl in our Bible college and she'd be like, we're going to go to the beach. We're going to go to the specific ocean. Oh, mercy, Jesus. Okay, next one. Help us, Lord. I could care less. 
Okay, now you're like, what's wrong with that? This is wrong, you guys. Because if you could care less, then there, you have care to give. So when you say, I could care less, you're saying, I actually still care. <laughs> what you're looking for is I couldn't care less. Come on, facepalm with me. Just everybody, facepalm. Facepalm. Oh, man. Okay, next one. Next one. Prostrate cancer. This is the cancer of being flat on your face, right? I'm sorry, uh, Mrs. Brown. Um, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, you have prostate cancer. You're, you're going to be laying down on your face. It's prostate, in case anybody. So the R really changes the word. How many of you know one letter makes a big difference? Now, please don't be offended. Is it, are you okay? I, I, but this is, you can't, don't say that anymore, okay? I'm going to get a prostate exam. I'm going to lay down. Okay, don't do that. Prostate. Okay, next one, next one. How many of you, this was a good one, the wiles of satin. I'll explain this. So Bethany and I were Bible college directors, and we, we had an internship program. We graded, did a lot of essay grading, and the, people think there's like levels of hell. I know the bottom one. It's grading papers. That's basically the bottom level of Dante's Inferno is grading papers. You're like reading something by someone who doesn't know anything, and then having to assess it and correct it and try to teach them through red ink. It's a, it's a don't hate your teachers, right? It's hard to grade things. Well, Bethany was grading a paper one time, and the student, God bless them, was repla replacing the word Satan, which is S-A-T-A-N, with Satan. And used the phrase, the wiles of Satan. <laughs> the wiliest of fabrics, you know, that's Satan. <laughs> How many of you know, if the devil has a cloth, it's Satin, right? It's so smooth. He's, he's a liar. The devil's a liar. All right, next, next one. And then, like, facepalm moments, commas. How many of you think commas matter? I believe in commas. You know, beyond anything else, commas matter. Let's, let's look at some of these. Tables are for eating customers only. <laughs> the barbecue sauce is great at this restaurant. It's, <laughs> commas matter. Okay, next one. Dead slow children animals. What? This is like the start of a horror movie right here. Dead, slow, children, animals, like, oh my gosh. Commas matter. Next one. People are eating children in this area. Please leash your dogs and clean up after them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> People are eating children in this area. The, the real crime here is that, I like how too, it's about leash your dog and clean up after them because the real crime here is sanitation. It's not what's going before. Commas make a big difference. Go to the next one. We have two hours to kill someone. Come see us. <laughs> you have two hours to kill someone? How many of you are just confused right now? What is going on in church? This is a window into my mind. We have two hours to kill someone. Come see us. You know, the thing is, serial killers have schedules too, my friends, right? We don't <laughs> need to be conscientious of their calendar. All right, next one. Toilet only for disabled, elderly, pregnant children. This is, the, uh, this is the toilet at the specific ocean, right? It's very specific of what is there. How many of you are offended right now? I'm never coming back to this church, except for if I get more donuts. Okay. You see, the thing is, we might think we've got stuff locked down. Like, we really have our mind wrapped around God and who he is and what he is and what he's like and all this stuff. But you could be 98% of the way there. But if you're missing really the, the core detail or the key detail, if you're missing the comma, you might really not be connecting with who God really is. 
And so I want to challenge you today to open your heart, open your mind and say, God, I want to know you, the real you. I, I want to explore this. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about who God is and answer this question from through the lens of the, the scripture and, and from who God says he really is. And we're going to talk about this together. I'm really excited, but I want to start off today and just jump into our text for today. The scripture is Psalm chapter 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Say he's good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. God, we open our hearts and minds today and we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that God, we would leave this place not the same as we came in, but changed and challenged and transformed by who you are and what you want to do in us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You see, a lot of people... Uh, well, I actually should give you the title of this message today before I jump in here. Today, I want to talk about this. God is good. God is good. You know, all the time. That's right. God is good. He's not indifferent to your plight. God is not uh, disinterested in your life. God is good. And we're going to talk about what this means. But a lot of people don't see God as good. And even people that maybe would say, yeah, I believe God is good. But when, you, when it really comes down to it, you don't necessarily see that God is good. You have not leaned into that reality. You don't live and operate as if that's the case all the time. You see, a lot of people have rejected God. A lot of people have, have, have a wrong view of God that they've rejected. So what are some of these wrong views of God? Well, the first one is that some people, and this is a characterization, so maybe you're not fully here, but I think it explains uh, one of the, the sides of this poll. Some people see God as kind of the angry smiter, right? Smite me, almighty oh smiter. They see God as sort of like a kind of annoyed, angry Zeus with a lightning bolt, right? And he's up in the sky and he's like, has a big white beard, but he's angry and he's all mad. And, and he's always watching for any time you step, you know, over the line and then he's going to smite you. Or they see God as kind of this angry judge who's just writing everything you do down and he's disappointed in you. And he's, he's sort of this glaring visage. And a lot of people, maybe they're not fully there. They don't like completely see God as angry Zeus lightning bolt God, but they have this idea of God that sort of influences how they think about him. And it shapes life and it shapes relationships and it shapes everything, their view of God. And then the other side of this is some people see God as sort of cosmic Santa Claus, genie, wish fulfillment God, meaning whenever I say, God, could you give me a million dollars or God, I want this or I want that, that his, his sort of existence is about giving you all that you want or can think about wanting at a given moment. Now, how many of you have encountered these ideas about God? Maybe, maybe you're not like, I'm full Santa Claus God, you know, belief. That's, nobody's really fully one or the other for the most part. But you find yourself somewhere on a spectrum of thinking about God in a particular way. And if you think about God in the wrong way, if you think about God as cosmic Santa Claus, you're going to be very disappointed. And really, he becomes so much less and weaker and not as full as who he really is. Even if God's really nice, that's not the same thing as saying he's good. It's missing out on his justice and his truth. And even if you say God is, is righteous and just and good, and he's sort of the, the judge of all things, you're missing out on his goodness. And so we need to find who God really is and connect with that. Because the problem is that many people reject God on the basis of a wrong idea about who he is. Many people. And I love this quote because I think it sums it up so well. Professor John Lennox was speaking to a fellow Oxford professor, Richard Dawkins, who's known for writing the book, The God Delusion. And Richard Dawkins is going on and on and on about this God who's tribalistic and he's a, he's a genocidal and he's horrible and he's a murderous and he's, 
you know, this judgment God. And John Lennox, just in this beautiful Northern Irish brogue, he just quips at Richard Dawkins. He says, well, Richard, I don't believe in the same God you don't believe in. I don't believe in the same God you don't believe in. You're raging against this idea of God that isn't the God of the Bible. You're raging against this God. You're rejecting this God who I don't believe in either. And that's the thing. For most people, they find themselves not really connecting, not really tasting, not really seeing, not really coming to grips with the fact that God is good. These views that go either way, they don't really do justice to who God really is. And so we go into the scripture in Psalms 34 and we are told, we are encouraged to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. I want to talk about these words right here. Taste, it means to experience. It means to perceive. It means to take a bite. One of my favorite moments is when, and we're going to do, I think my wife and my mom and sister and other related females in our family are going to create the most amazing recipe. Not create it, but make it. Our family is what we call long sauce, the pasta sauce. And I love just sidling in. How many of you know men know how to sidle? It's like men and puppy dogs know how to sidle. So, What's going on in here? What's this? You know, and get a taste, get a perception, get an experience, take a bite of the, the wonderful meatballs and sauce. Come on, can I get an amen? amen. Got to be careful talking about food at the second service because lunchtime is calling us. But taste, it means to, to experience, to, to, to get, get in there and take a bite. And God is inviting us to taste, to move into this area of experience. You know, a relationship with God is not something that can just be described with words. You've got you to get inside of it. You have to experience it. How many of you have annoying friends? I do. And how many of you are an annoying friend to other friends, right? It's, it goes both ways. One of the most annoying things about friends is when you walk up and they're all laughing and talking and ha, 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 right? And they're just going on and on. And you're like, what's going on? And they're like, ah, well, you had to be there. You know what I'm talking about? You had to be there. And those are always painful moments because I'm not there. I wasn't there, but I want to be a part of what's happening. I love inside jokes. Someday I hope to be a part of one, right? <laughs> I want to be a part of this. And yet, you know, we get annoyed by that, but that's how Christianity is. You, you come into a church service and people are like, and all the earth. Hey, brother, God is good all the time, right? And you're like, what's going on? People are like, you had to be there. I'm here right now, right? I want to be in this. I want to be part of the party. I'm, you have to be there. You got to get in and know God and experience God and get wrapped into his presence and get with God's people and get into church. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm just checking this thing out. I'm not really sure if I want to jump in with both feet. Okay, that's fine. But listen, God is inviting you to experience him and you really can't get the right view of God unless you taste that he's good. You got to feel it. You got to experience it. It can't just be something that you, you, you just described to you. So how do we experience God? Well, we experience him right here on, at church. We experience him in community, at joy groups. We experience him in the word, in prayer, in worship, in his presence. We experience him. Now, maybe you're like, well, I'm not even a Christian. What do you mean prayer? Isn't prayer for Christians? No, prayer's for people. There's no verse in the Bible that says, if thou art a follower of, the word thy is in there somewhere. I don't know where, but of Jesus, you can pray. No, it doesn't say that. You could pray regardless because prayer is communication with God. Talk to him. God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. God, I, I don't even, I'm not even a Christian. I don't even go to church, but I want to experience you. I want to, I want to know you. And God is inviting you to taste. He wants to, 
He wants to invite you in. God is not holding his good stuff, his goodness back from you, waiting for you to come to an intellectual transition where you now identify as a Christian. There's never a moment when a person's like, I wasn't a Christian, but now I am. And we like to think of that. Well, I was saved. I prayed a prayer and I was saved. Actually, it's always a spectrum. It's always a spectrum because you're always on a journey. Like at what point do you miraculously, supernaturally become a Christian? Is it the minute, the instant? I don't know. I don't know the mechanics. All I know is it works. And God wants you to experience. So maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not even fully sure if I'm going to be a Christian. Okay, that's fine. But taste and see. Taste and experience the presence of God. Feel his presence around you. Feel his love. Hear his words. Come on, be with God's people And I want to ask you this question. Maybe you're already a Christian here today and you've been a Christian for a long time. Are you experiencing God? Do you have an experiential relationship with God? There's a lot of Christians that are like, I know what to say. I know the right answer. So the heck what? Do you have an experience, a relationship with God? Is there an active, dynamic, living, breathing relationship with God? See, I know the right answers about how to be a good husband. It's different than doing it. Come on, somebody. He's a preach preacher, preach pastor. I know the right answers. Well, if my wife does this, I'm supposed to do this. If she says this, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to bring flowers home. I know that. I've learned it in Husband 101. I mean, you're supposed to do these things. Very different than experiential, experientially participating in a loving relationship. Come on. So are you experiencing God? And see, here's the thing. Many people shy away from the experience of God, from really opening the door of their heart, from really stepping in and getting their feet wet and going deeper into a relationship with God. Many people shy away from this. And here's why. Because deep down, we sort of know there's a God and that he has an agenda for us. Now, here's the thing. As a human being, I have plans and I have ideas about myself and a comfort level. How many of you have comfort levels? And you sort of have expectations of yourself. And and I don't like my apple cart to get upset, whatever that means. I don't like it. For me, Apple Card is like all my Apple products. I don't want that upset. You know what I mean? I want it to be fine. I want, I want things to stay the same. I want to be comfortable. And I know, I sense intuitively that if God gets involved in my life, that things are going to change. He's going to challenge me to do different things and speak differently and act differently and feel differently and start singing Christian songs. And I don't even like Christian music. And what's happening to me? We like intuitively connect and know that if there's a God, he actually has a plan for your life and that it's not just going to be something where you show up on Sundays and everything stays exactly the same. Are you experiencing God? Many people shy away from experiencing God and seeking an experience of God because they know that God is going to, if he gets involved, things are going to change and there's going to be a difference. I love it in the Chronicles of Narnia. We just listened to this on the way up to Canada. In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four Pevensey children, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy are walking through Narnia and they're, they're in the, the perpetual winter that the white witch has created and, and the beaver that they're walking with. I don't know why there's a talking beaver, but there is. Just, you just have to go with it. And they, he starts telling them about Aslan, Aslan, Aslan's on the move, Aslan's coming. Who's Aslan? Aslan's this, this lion. He's the king of Narnia. Aslan is going to set everything right. He's going to kick the white witch's butt. doesn't say that in there, but just kind of get the idea. And Lucy says to the, to the beaver, well, is he quite safe? Is he quite safe? And the beaver says, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is God quite safe? No. 
Absolutely not. If you thought being a Christian was about walking into a safer life, you're sorely mistaken. Because being a Christian, literally Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me every day. The cross is an execution torture device. What about that sounds safe to any of you? Let me just tell you right now, if you're looking for Christianity because you're looking to be more comfortable, you are in the wrong place. Because if you are really pursuing Jesus, your life will not necessarily become more comfortable. What it will become is more fulfilled. What you will have is more peace. What you will have is more purpose. What you will have is God changing you into a new kind of person. Come on, getting ready to participate in the resurrection. I don't want to preach my Easter message, but I'm working on it. Because the resurrection didn't just happen to Jesus. The resurrection is happening to you and I as we participate and Christ begins to work in our life. But it's a process and it's dangerous and things go on. And many people are are shying away from experiencing God because they're saying, well, is he quite safe? And the answer is no, but he's good. He's good. He's not safe, but he's good. It's like the difference between playing with your mom and playing with your dad. Anybody remember like when you had little kids? Right? That's how dads are, isn't it? Dads are like, You know, that's how I was with my kids. And Bethany was like, oh, and moms are like, oh, you know, you could fit a credit card in the space they throw kids. The, the difference between playing with moms and dads and dads are dangerous. Like dads are kind of, kids are going to get hurt with dad. Sometimes I'm just walking through my house and I'd be like, oh, sorry, Penny. Man, it's a good thing we have that health insurance. Your foot looks really bad. Hey, I'll take you to the hospital after the Ducks game. You know, like that's... That's dads. Moms are like nurturing and they, you know, feed the children, whatever. I'm just like, go to the refrigerator. We bought enough food. Just figure it out. My kids are in there like stove. Just kidding. That's, no, not true. Is he quite safe? No, but he's good. He's good. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He wants to invite you in. And so you're invited to taste. You're invited to taste, to experience, but you're also invited to see. I love this, that the Christian faith is not is not just blind faith. It's not just accepting something and kind of being like, well, it makes me feel good, so I do it. A lot of people have this idea about the Christian faith that it's, that it's purely experiential. It's just spiritual, and it's kind of like, woohoo, out there. But you're missing a whole side of this because God says, no, you got to taste, you got to experience, you got to come into a relationship, but also you need to see. You need to have clarity in your intellect Clarity in your, your thought process is about what it is that you're accepting or rejecting. And this word see means to observe. Maybe you're here today and you're here to see what's going on. That's good. You're here to see, you're here to observe, you're here to take it in and, and see what's happening. To observe means to take a good look, not a passing glance. A lot of people look at God and they just look at God and like, ah, no, not for me. That's not what you need to do. You need to taste and see, to look upon, to gaze upon, to, to keep your eyes set upon because God can stand up to your scrutiny. A lot of people, even Christians, they think, well, don't, you shouldn't have any doubts. Where do we get that from? Where, where do we get that from? The Bible doesn't say don't have doubts. It says, you know, have faith. Have, but I think God is actually more accepting of an honest doubt than a dishonest belief. If you're a Christian and you're just hypocritically repeating things that you don't believe, that's not faith. That's called being a liar. Hello. So when life gets hard and you're like, man, I don't even know where God is. Why don't you just, why don't you just be honest about your doubts 
and say, I'm going to continue to trust him even through the midst of circumstances because I've tasted and I've seen, but I'm not going to ignore what I see. Real faith is not just blind, just sort of delusional fantasy on the level of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I'm sorry, Santa Claus is real, but the Easter Bunny, not real. You know, I think Bigfoot's real, but there's other stuff that's not. Okay, I'm not real sure what's real and what's not. Let's be honest. But the Christian faith is not in line with just these fantasies. You can see God can stand up to our scrutiny. And I believe in God for a reason. My faith is not just experiential, though it is such, but it's also reasonable. I have seen it. And I want to share with you very briefly why I'm a Christian. I call it the tripod of truth. The tripod of truth. And it's three things. It's experience. It's evidence. It's examination. Taste and see that God is good. How have I seen? How have I observed? How have I looked upon and scrutinized and examined? Well, it's because of these three things. I have had a personal relationship. I have a personal relationship and a revelation of God. And what I mean by this is that as I have come to know Christ, who I really am has changed and been transformed on the inside out. So as I begin to know God and as I come to know Christ, I become more kind and considerate and compassionate to the needs of other people. As I come to know Christ, I begin to, be, begin to be less anxious and begin to have more peace and joy in my life, peace that passes all understanding. I begin to be a better husband and a better father, not because I necessarily wanted to or want to, but because there's a tangible but invisible force working upon me. Now, how many of you would say, I don't believe in the wind? I do not believe in the wind. If you do believe in the wind, then you are aware that there are invisible yet tangible forces in the world. And the working and outworking of the power of God in my life is invisible, but it's tangible. I cannot deny it because I have results and tangible things. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen God answer specific prayers. I've seen God respond and supernaturally provide for my family when we needed him to. I've seen God do things and I've experienced the truth of what he says about himself in the word. And I know him in an experiential way. And this is one of the, the pieces of the tripod of truth. The second one is evidence. Biblical, historical, philosophical, scientific. If somebody comes to you and says, well, you have faith. I believe in reason. I believe in rationality. I believe in science. I don't, you know, faith is this other category. That's an ignorant statement. The fact is that person and or you might have no evidence that you can cognitively recall at that moment but that doesn't mean the evidence doesn't exist. And all you need to do is lean in and actually find out, okay, is there any evidence? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this, but if you go back in 2017, we did a series called You Can't Say That in Church. And we unpacked at length the evidence for the existence of God, the evidence for the, the veracity and truthfulness of the Christian faith in juxtaposition against other worldviews. And I can just tell you this right now, for me, being an intellectually honest person, if Christianity wasn't true and there wasn't any evidence, I wouldn't be a Christian because there are actual football games happening on Sunday mornings. And just, do you, you know what I'm saying? I don't like Christian radio. Like for me, there's not something about being a religious Christian or a person, you know, that makes me feel fuzzy on the inside. That's not how I am. Now, I don't know about you, but not for me. If there wasn't evidence, I wouldn't be here. Oh my goodness, the pastor said he wouldn't be here if there wasn't evidence. Well, there is evidence. There is evidence. And we studied that out in that series. And I would encourage you, if you want to know some of the evidence, I don't have time to get into it all today, but I'm talking about strong evidence, the truth of the Bible, the historical precedent, everything that was built upon the philosophical deductive reasonings and, and all of that, the scientific evidence, it's all there. And for me, it's part of the tripod of truth, looking in to the truthfulness and the reality of God. You with me? 
And then the third one is I see and observe is examination. Looking at other worldviews and saying, do these answer, does this worldview hold water? Does it answer the three fundamental questions? What is ultimate reality? What is truth? And what is right? Does it answer the areas of, of ontological, scientific uh, reality that we have to observe in our observable universe? Does this worldview actually give a coherent and co consistent answer to these questions or does it not? Does this worldview answer the truth question? How do we think? How does reason even operate? How, do I, how can I trust the thoughts in my brain if they're just chemical reactions firing off? You ever thought about that? Where does that come from? And then how do I perceive and intuit right and wrong? Why do some things feel or come across as wrong and some things right? Where does, these, where does, this, where does this come from? And you can examine every worldview, every different religion and worldview and see, does this one hold water? Does it, does it stand up to scrutiny? And the Christian faith stands up to examination and, it, and the other worldviews that I've observed for myself do not stand up. So when somebody says, hey, you can see that God is good, they're not just like, just take a passing glance. No, God can stand up to your scrutiny. You're meant to experience him. You're meant to connect with him at an experiential, emotional, spiritual level, but also in an intellectual way. And this is great because some of us are more like those experienced people, like, I'm over here just having a party. Nobody else knows what's going on, but I'm excited, right? How many of you are like, that's me just out there. You wear a lot of tie-dye. You know who you are, <laughs> right? You believe in Bigfoot. I mean, that's me, right? But you're the experienced person. And then you have the intellectual people. Can I touch it? Can I taste it? Can I see it? Can I smell it? Can I observe it with my empirical senses? Show me chapter and verse. Like the very empirical people well, you can't just lock in on one of those categories to really know God and experience his goodness. You have to taste and see. But there's a lot of myth, there's a lot of myth and misconception out there that says, well, you know, you can't really see because there's no evidence. There's no reason to believe. And that's simply not the case. Taste and see. God invites us to get our hands dirty. And I love this because faith in our culture has been relegated to the fantasy realm. So somebody's like, well, I just believe in God, you know, and that's it. And, and you can't touch me, nana, 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 right? And, and it's kind of ridiculous. And both Christians and secular people do this because we don't have vernacular and language to dialogue and have this. But actually, we need to reconnect these things and say that Christianity is either true or it's false because it's a description about the nature of reality. And if it's not true, then what are we doing here, right? And if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of pursuing your faith and finding out why do I believe what I believe, because God invites you to taste and see that he is good. God is good. And I, and I wanna go into this a little bit more as we close today, but I wanna give you thoughts on the goodness of God because we talked a lot about his existence and I know I talked about evidence and those types of things, but God isn't just there. God is also good. The kind of God that we believe in at Joy Church, the God that we believe in in the Christian faith is not just a transcendent, powerful God who just floats above everything. No, he's good. His nature is that he's personal and he wants a relationship. I almost dropped my iPad. Excited to preach today. <laughs> if I drop this one, I think I get a new iPad Pro. So you might see that happen in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. My wife's like, nope, nope. Okay, sorry, babe. Cutting that out. So let's talk about God's goodness. Thoughts on his goodness. Number one, God is good even when we aren't. This is good news. God is good even when we aren't. You see, human goodness is reciprocal meaning you do me a solid, I'll do you a solid, right? Like you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. If you're nice, I'll be nice. The beauty of God and what really expresses his goodness beyond 
that he does nice things moment to moment is that even when we don't do nice things towards him, he's still good to us. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. God is good even when we aren't. And this is why we talk about God being good. It's not just the same as saying, well, that, that guy's basically a good person. Because see, even human beings who are otherwise pretty nice, otherwise pretty moral, otherwise pretty good in their life, but we don't see the whole picture. Because how many of you know, all of us are a mixed bag. You know, not, none of us really have it all together and are all good. But when we look at God, he truly is good to the core, good to the bone, so good that he's good even when we aren't. So good that he does the right thing and the good thing, even when the, the human being that's interacting with him is not. And he can't deny himself. God is good even when we aren't. Number two, God is so good that he gives us what we need, not always what we want. And this is a big one, isn't it? See, we can't just judge God, whether he exists or whether he's good on whether, he not, whether or not he gives you what you currently want. Because when you think about God, he's a loving father and he's not less of a loving father than we earthly fathers. And for me with my kids, you know, there's, there's moments every single day where my kids want something that I deny them, not because of a lack of goodness, but because I am good. Because I know more about their goodness than they do. So my daughter, Evie, we had this conversation on the way to church today. She's like, dad, can I tell you something bad about my week? Sure. I didn't like the beans and rice. We had beans and rice yesterday in Portland uh, at this delicious Mexican restaurant and she did not like it. And we had a, a bit of a row about it. Say that. Because her mom and I were like, my goodness, we took out a second mortgage to buy you food and you're going to eat it. Right. And I mean, you parents know what I mean. There's like a deep level of pain that comes when your kids won't eat the food you've purchased for them. And then you have that conversation. We're going to just get you water, right? It's a threat. You're going to be hydrated. No food. <laughs> so she's saying, I didn't like the beans and rice. And I'm like, well, honey, uh, here's the thing. As your dad, I see that you need to eat good, healthy foods to live a good, healthy life. You can't just eat junk food all the time. Now, Evie, in that moment, in her perception is like, well, I like, and she said this, well, I like the waffles. Of course you did. They were covered in cinnamon and sugar and whipped cream. I didn't like the real food. I liked the junk food. Well, of course, because that's normal. But I know more about your goodness than you. And so a good father doesn't just acquiesce to every desire in the moment because God has a bigger picture of your goodness than you. And God has a bigger picture of our goodness than in the, in the entire world. And so he doesn't always give us just exactly what we want. He gives us what we need. And again, his goodness is seen. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, well, God doesn't feel good because I want this. I'm single and I'm 28 years old. And every other woman has, you know, and every other guy has it. Okay, first of all, chill out. You have another donut, right? <laughs> Calm down. You don't, you might not be perceiving and feeling the goodness of God moment by moment, but you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself and say, is this actually God being ungood or unkind? Or is there perhaps a goodness that I do not perceive? Yeah. Now, this is a big person thought, right? It takes a grown-up to think this way. Is there a possibility that I don't know everything? Has anybody ever asked themselves that question? Not on Twitter. 
When I rush to judgment, to judge other people, when I judge God, when I judge situations, is there a possibility that there, are, there is information and processes outside of my capacity to understand and grasp at a given moment God is good because he doesn't just give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And what's awesome about God is that he does give you what you want as well, but he's leading us on a journey towards becoming more like him. He's raising us as this loving father through life. Number three, God is good to everyone. This is a big deal. It's one of my favorite lines. God loves the people you hate, which is good news because some people hate you. Isn't it interesting? God is good to everyone. And a lot of times we're like, well, God, you need to be good to me, but not them. Because they did this bad thing to me. So you need to be good to me, but not to them. The beauty of the goodness of God is that it transcends our, our capacity to, to mete out justice and judgment. And that's such good news. See, as human beings, we're always really, really good about keeping score. Well, they owe me one and they did this and I'm keeping score. And people remember things 35 years ago, this person, they looked at me funny and they did this thing. And do you know why God makes such a big deal about forgiveness? Because he has this massive party and there's this huge table and your name is written there. And somebody who has better handwriting than me did it in cursive and it's written right there and your name is on it. Boom, right there. And there's a big, you know, bowl right there. And there's all this Italian food on the table. It's covered in Italian food. We're talking cannoli. We're talking spaghetti and meatballs and all the good stuff and French bread. I don't know how the French got their bread onto my Italian table, but they did. But we're going to dip it in olive oil and balsamic vinegar. Come on, somebody. And God has this massive party, his kingdom, and it's accessible. And your name is right there on the table. But a lot of people are standing at the door going, well, I'm not going in there if that person's in there. See, we're always worried about who's in and who's out. And here's the thing. God is good to everyone. And that's the basis of why he's good to you because you don't deserve his goodness and I don't deserve his goodness. And the person that was bad to you doesn't deserve his goodness. But God gives it to everyone who wants in and don't hold yourself out of the party. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff right there. God is good to everyone. God loves everybody. And that's great news because some people think you don't deserve his goodness and they're probably right. God is good to everyone. And lastly, as we close up today, God's ultimate goodness is revealed in Christ. To really taste and see, to really experience and to really observe the goodness of God, that we're not just talking about this God who's up in heaven and judgmental or ultimate Santa Claus or any of that, but no, the, the real God, to really get a, a sense of his goodness, we, we have to know Christ because it's never made clearer than in the person of Jesus. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Good, even when you're not being good. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Say good. Come on, he's good. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Good to the core, good to the bone, good to the last drop. Come on, God is good. All the time. If you didn't know that before, now you can play like a Christian and do that funky Marco Polo. Okay. God is good all the time. And it's revealed in Jesus. A lot of people come to me and say, well, Pastor Jake, you always talk about Jesus, the gospel. Like we need to, when are we going to talk about like deep things? And they mean like prophecy and stuff like that. 
Well, it says in the scripture that the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. There is no master level program of Christianity. Jesus is the bachelor's level, the undergrad. He's the master's degree. He's the PhD. When you know Jesus, you get everything that God has for you and getting a clear sense and a picture of Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting here. I want to preach the gospel to some religious people because maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I already know God. I've already got him figured out. I already have a relationship. My name is on the chair. I gave him the offering. I've been here for a long time. The gospel is not something that you get once and then set it aside and put it in a shelf so it gets dusty and moldy and ugly and nasty. The gospel is something you pour out, pull out every day and say, God, do it in me today. Do it in me today. Come on, Jesus, show me your goodness. Jesus, I need you today, just like I did back then. Come on, the gospel is alive and dynamic and breathing. And we need to know the goodness of God revealed in Jesus today. Whether you were a Christian for 20 years or whether today you just walked into a movie theater and didn't know what you were getting into. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him, this is your moment to meet Jesus and to receive all of God's goodness for you. To let his grace and love and mercy just pour into your heart and your life.